Good morning. So a couple things uh, I was asked to mention here. Um, just to, Dan wanted me to mention that uh, he forgot to mention that uh, right after Kids Night tonight, we're going to bundle up the House to House Heart to Heart newsletter that goes out. And so if you would like to help out with that, that's uh, going to happen tonight. And also uh, the sending party for Joe and Paige Jetty. I know uh, there's uh, churches appreciated them being here for the time. And maybe, Lord willing, they'll migrate back. And uh, our hope and prayer is that someday. But um, it, it, our house, uh, and we'll send out a flock note with information later. Um, there is, uh, We have an abundance of moose burger at our house right now at this point in time. So Sylvia is going to, if you bring a side dish, um, there's going to be moose burgers provided. And, um, and you can hang out and say, uh, say hello to Joan Page before they launch here in the next, uh, next, this next week. So that's happening tomorrow night from 6 to 8 at, at our house. All right, uh, Romans chapter 3, we're going to jump in there. And I want to share something before we jump in here as well, just about Romans in general. I can tell you the first, I don't remember the first time I read Romans, but I do remember at times in my life being really confused by what's in there and, and really trying to wrestle through all this discussion of faith, righteousness, justification, and what does all that mean and how does all that fit together and I realized the fog, and it's sometimes called the fog of Romans, comes up and, and kind of gonna, would get in my head and I'd try to think, now what on earth did I just read and what on earth was all this about? And so that is especially true from chapters 3 through chapters 11. And then from chapters 12 to the end, there's a whole lot of really practical stuff. And so as we walk through these chapters, and, and we'll, we won't read everything that we'll see in Romans, but we'll, we're going to go through and, and, um, and hit the, the gist of it in the next, next weeks. There, what's, what I'm intent on doing is trying to, as best as I can, lift the fog and help us to understand how practical the things are that are, that are here for us each and every day. Because in church history, what we found is sometimes some of the, the greatest leaders that have made the biggest changes have pointed and said, Romans, understanding what's there made it all come alive to me and changed me. And so hopefully at the end of, of all this, that's where, where we all are, is changed by the powerful uh, discussions that are in Romans. Um, but it's kind of like this, if we can say it this way. There's, I heard an analogy once, or I read it in a book, is that sometimes some of the, the greatest blessings that we see, receive spiritually are, are a cookie jar that seems like it's way up there. And we can see the cookie jar, we're just not sure quite how to get it. And if we can just lower the cookie jar so it's in our grasp, so that we can get a hold of it, we can enjoy those blessings. And so hopefully as we walk together through these sections of Romans in the next few weeks, this is, this is what's going to happen. All right, so the last, uh, last couple of weeks, what Paul has showed us in Romans is that whether a person has a long history with God and they've grown up Jewish and they have all of, all of that, all that understanding of the law, or they've grown up far away to the other side and have grown up worshiping idols and been part of pagan society, is that both of those situations has some shortcomings. And there's some things that... that if we grow up in those contexts that, that don't bring us right, right to God um, in and of itself. And so we're going to pick up today in chapter 9, or excuse me, verse 3, chapter 9, and uh, read from there. What should we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? And he's talking about Jews here. Not at all. Uh, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all alike under the power of sin, as it is written. And what Paul does here is he takes 
quotation after quotation after quotation from the Old Testament talking about this point here. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, and there is no one who seeks God. All who have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. The ruin and misery marks their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Okay, you see the cloud forming here? You see the cloud? It's kind of hard to, to understand and walk through this. And so here's some some. The big points that Paul gets across here is that God's law does not make us righteous. Okay, All of this that you see in the Old Testament, all of these rules, then and of themselves, what the, what the Jews got, got crossways somewhere here, is that because we have these rules and these laws of God, that be, because we know them, we are righteous. And Paul says, that's not really how it works, because remember, we've just been talked about, and I just read all these quotations from your history that talk about how much you have fallen short over time. Mm -mm. The law doesn't make us righteous. What the law does is clearly defines sin and clearly defines how we do fall short from God. And both Jews and Gentiles fall short. All of us, no matter our situation, is we find that we all fall short of God's glory. That's what we find ourselves. But what the law did, it was very important, is it made really clear what right and wrong was. I, I understand this, and I think about this in terms of, of uh, the soccer coaching I've done. When my kids started, when they were five or six, there was a, a recreation league in Great Falls, and um, so we signed the kids up for it. And immediately they said, hey, would you coach? I thought, well, okay, sure, I'll sign up for coaching. Uh, five and six-year-olds, I'm not sure at all what to do with that. And Sarah started playing earlier than Luke, and she was older. And I remember the first few um, seasons of coaching soccer for, for little five- and six-year-old girls was a great learning experience for me. And hopefully for the little girls as well, but it was a great learning experience for me. Because this crew of little girls was much more interested in the dandelions that grew on the field. And the, um, there was, all of them were sweet, wonderful little girls. And there was not a wolverine in the group. You know what I mean by that? A wolverine that I'm going to take that ball and I'm going to put it in the goal. That was just not going to happen with this crew. And so I had to figure out all sorts of different ways. And I had I bribed them with M&Ms. Is that when they touched the ball and they took the ball away from somebody else, then they got an M&M on the sideline when I rotated them in and out. And I had the parents helping me with that. Because these little girls would say, well, I don't want to, I know the little girl at school and I don't want to take the ball away because I don't want her to feel bad. The, Boy, that's a great quality to have, but not if you're a soccer coach. You know, that's just you, you love that quality in your kids. But it was the very basics, just trying to teach them what the game was about. And and I worked through slowly, and it took time. And and I showed them. Okay, now, for example, when I say stay in the field, you see those lines right there. That means don't go outside those lines. You have to stay in. Why? But the ball went over there. I know, but just bring it back and play in the field. You know, it was always discussions like that. And I think about that is, is really when you read the Old Testament, that's what you see. 
is God at different times saying, all right, I know, I know, you know, you need to come back. I know that's, I'm making rules here. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the different things. Because you've got to know what's right and wrong. You've got to understand me. And you're so far out of bounds right here. There is, I've got to start somewhere, okay? And so here I'm working you back towards trying to play inside the field. And, and no, you cannot punch people on the soccer field. You know, that type of thing. I get that impression that God is taking that time through the Old Testament to help the Israelites understand what sin is. This is right, this is wrong, and this is what you need to know what it means to follow me. And so, when we get to, uh, Jesus, He completes the whole discussion. We'll get to that here in a minute. But do you see that? Is that the, the law was about trying to bring people onto the soccer field, trying to teach them the rules about how God's plan was to, 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 to play the game of life, if we can say it that way, to be people that, that honored God. And so that wasn't meant to ever be a source of pride for the Jews that, oh, look, we've got the law. Look at how wonderful we are. That was not supposed to be a source of pride. It was supposed to just bring you onto the field. That's what this was about. And to be an example of how everybody else should play on the field. When we, well, let's continue on with these next verses here in just a minute. But let's hit some terms to start with. Okay, righteousness. Now, how many of you use, when you're not talking about spiritual things, the word righteousness? Now, once in a while, you'll hear a snowboarder say righteous or something like that. But, yeah, not very often we use the, that term. And simply, in our context, it means being right with God, working to be right with God. That's right, being right, the, the state of being right. Okay, that term will come up here. The term faith, a firm conviction in spiritual things. If you look in Hebrews 11, chapter 1, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's the idea, is, is having faith in something that we, we can't touch. Now, all of us live by faith in some form or fashion. Even atheists live by faith. Okay? Because driving down the road, we have no guarantee that empirical evidence that we're going to arrive at our, at our destination without, uh, without problems or without being in an accident. But we drive by faith all the time. We, we put our, our hope in things that we can't see and touch. But... In this context, faith is a firm conviction of spiritual things, is that I know God is there and I'm going to do something about it. Okay, another term, grace, unmerited favor, getting a whole lot better than we deserve. Uh, Grace is something that my kids want for themselves and justice is they want what they want for the other. Okay, do you get that? Do you understand how how that works sometimes? As my kids are, are really excited about having grace for themselves and getting second chances, but having justice for whenever the other one steps out of line. And we tend to, to operate like that with people. And so let's look at these next verses here. In chapter 3, starting verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shepherding, the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of the law? The law that requires works? No, but because of the law that requires faith. 
For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised to the same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Hey, so here is the message that Paul is giving, this message of hope here. Now what's happened is a righteousness is given through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, to all who believe. Both Jews and Gentiles receive God's grace in the same way. Now we're going to talk about how a person comes into that, that faith and, and how they come into that covenant of God, and, and Paul doesn't deal with it here. He just says, and he just wants us to understand here, is that a righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. And so Jews and Gentiles, all of us, no matter who we are, and these people that are reading it, this would have been something that really shook their foundations, is pride and heritage is not what gets us into God's kingdom. It's not being born into the right family. It's not having the law since we're, when you're young or whatever. What it is, it is all, all of us come to God because ultimately we decide to put our faith in him and, and we come into God's kingdom in that way. And we talk about baptism and, and repentance and all that as we go along. But think about it in these terms. I, I think for, for the people listening originally, this is what it would have sounded like. Um, how many of you have been to the Yellowstone Club for work in some, some way? A bunch of people here have. How many of you are part of the Yellowstone Club? Yeah, we're mere mortals down here in Belgrade, aren't we? Yep, that's right. Yep. But think about what would happen. On the news tonight, there's a big announcement. said, you know, things have changed. Um, there is a... There is a... Now, uh, Board of Directors of the Yellowstone Club has, has come together, and we've decided that everybody can be a part of the Yellowstone Club. Uh, from now on, all you have to do is drive up. Gate is open. Everyone's welcome. What type of reaction do you think we would get from people? You're like, huh, at least I'm going to go see what's happening up there. This seems like this is pretty, pretty amazing. There would be, but there would be a stir, wouldn't it? There would be a stir. There would be movement. There would be asking questions. There would be all of that. Now, God's kingdom had always been open to all people, but the perception was the Jews were the keepers of God's people and they were the doorkeepers that let people in and out. And so all of a sudden, what, the, what people are hearing is God is open, his kingdom, this, this place that, that, it, that is wonderful, this, this, uh, this something that you thought that you were excluded from, wait a it's here and it's open and the gates are open and it's free. Come on out. All of these things that you've looked on the outside for before all these years, now it's open. Come on down. Wow, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing news. That's amazing news. And it doesn't stop there. It continues on. And um, here's some descriptions that we see of the righteousness in here. Um, there is, uh, some of your translations will say, use the word justified, some will say being set free. Okay, that's a legal term that helps describe what's going on here. This legal term of being set free, it's like if um, I have to, um, I get in trouble and I, I have to pay a fine, um, and I end up going before the judge, and I show up before the judge and I know all of this is, is happening and I, I've got to pay fine, I may have to do some jail time or something like that, and I, I show up and, and I, 
I go there before the judge, and the judge is looking through the papers and, and just says, Well, Chris, um, your debt has been paid, and you are free to go. Walk away. You owe nothing. I'm going to be pretty happy about that. I may not all understand it. I may not know all the details of it, but that's going to be news that I'm pretty happy about. So that's what Paul is saying here, is that you have been justified, or you've been set free. Christ's sacrifice has set you free. Completely free. You can walk away, walk out of the courtroom, and you've got nothing to pay. Um, there's another term that's used in here that's helpful for me to think through as well. The term redemption. This is a term that was often used as a metaphor from slavery. Is that someone, and, and we tend to project our history of slavery onto the New Testament discussions of it, is slavery in the New Testament was not based on, on race or color but it was based on whether you were a conquered people and you just happened to be unfortunate enough to be in the group of people that were conquered, or if you were poor enough that you got to where you couldn't pay your debts, you would basically enter a contract or a covenant where you would become a slave and work for someone for a while to pay that off. And so we don't have slaves, but functionally, when we get into massive credit card debt and those type of things, we functionally end up being the same things. Okay, that's, that's what happens in our world. It's just we, we call it by different names. And so here you have a situation of, of someone who, is, um, who has maybe submitted themselves to say, I'm just in so much debt, I can't do anything, and so I'm going to give myself to this person for a while, and I'm going to work as their, in their house, and I'm going to do whatever I can. And they do that. And one day the owner comes in and says, hey, someone came along and paid your debt off. You're free to go been good to have you here. You're done. You can go home. Just think about what that's going to do to you. Think, well, wait a minute here. Do, okay. See, I'm gone. I'm, I, this debt has been paid completely, and, and I can go on my merry way, and uh, I don't owe you anything. No, you don't owe me anything at all. You're good to go. Another uh, term that is used here in this discussion is atonement. If you look at Leviticus chapter 1, Go ahead and turn there. Leviticus chapter 1. Verse 3. It's talking about burnt offerings, and there's a lot of other descriptions. This is just one here. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be acceptable on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And then he continues on from there, and there's all sorts of description given. But the point here is that people would bring these burnt offerings there. And they would lay their hands on this burnt offering. The, the, the offering would be killed and then put on the altar. And the idea being is, I deserve what is being done to this animal. And this animal is taking the sacrifice instead of me. So I can walk away free. Because this animal is taking all of it. And so when you look down this section, and you can, you can write this down if you have a church book that you, you keep or 
or you write the notes, you can go back and you can see these terms there in this discussion that Paul uses. And he uses this legal term, he uses this metaphor from slavery, and he uses a sacrificial metaphor to say that when Jesus went to the cross, he took care of everything and you walked away without problem. When you follow God, you are washed completely clean. Now, when I think about that, there's the people of, of Jesus' day, the Romans that were, were listening to this initially, I can't help but them thinking, hoping they would have thought, is they looked around this, the room of these, this maybe packed small room of people, that Jews and Gentiles that are there, and as we talked about the history, the Jews were original leaders there, and then they left, and then the Gentiles, because Claudius kicked all the Jews out, the, the Gentiles became the spiritual leaders, and then the Jews came back, and there's this tension. And you can't help but imagine, is they're looking around the room, listening to this discussion, and thinking, you know, I know that those people across the room from me, they're so different from me. And they are, they're just, how they look at life is so different. And, and their, their customs are different and their background is different. And, and if I'm a Jew, I'm not even sure that I'm really excited about them being part of God's kingdom. If I'm going to be perfectly honest with myself. But here's something we have in common. Is that all of us have fallen short of the grace of God. And now all of us, have, our slates have been completely wiped clean to be God's people. And maybe the biggest things in life and the most important things are the things that we have in common. And maybe that's enough of a foundation for us to continue to work together and to try to build a bridge here. Maybe this is going to work. Maybe we're not all that different after all. Maybe there is some, some, so much that we, we do have in common that, uh, we can, that God can use us to do something here. So the question I thought about is, what about us? Now, first of all, we are separated from God because of sin. Every one of us is in that same spot. And there's, sometimes the discussion comes up, okay, or the question comes up, are all sins the same? And, and I've heard the discussion on both sides, yes and no. Yes, we're all the same. Yes, no, we're not. You know, that discussion goes back and forth. And I believe that discussion is, is misplaced. It's the wrong question. It's kind of like asking if, um, and maybe I've used this analogy before, are children the church of today or the church of tomorrow? Okay? And I've heard people say that. Children are the church of tomorrow. And then someone gets up and say, no, no, children are the church of today. Okay, which is right? Both. They're both. You know, all of us are part of the church today, and hopefully we're part of the church in the future. The both is correct. All of it's correct. And so when we ask the question, are, are sins different or are they all the same? I believe that's the wrong question. What Paul makes really clear here is that sins are the same and that they all separate us from God. But I don't think any one of us would debate either that some sins carry more consequences in this life than others do and carry more baggage and carry more hurt that we have to walk through. And so let's, let's try to put that, that discussion to the side because there is, there's, what Paul is showing is that with the Jews and Gentiles, they, they may have different sins and those sins have different consequences. But what happens is all of us come together in the fact that we are all separated from God because all of us have sinned. And every one of us in this room 
that is old enough to walk through that door of sin has this in common. There's a lot of things that we don't have in common, a lot of things that may be different, a lot of things that we may see differently in this life, but this is the biggest thing that we have in common, is that number one, every one of us has fallen short of the grace of God. Because we have not been the person that God has created us to be. But it doesn't stop there. And the news in Romans keeps getting better as we go along. We can all receive God's grace and be reunited with him. Every one of us has that opportunity. And, and, and that's why we're here, is to take advantage of that opportunity and to look more like Christ and to come back into his grace, get in step with our creator, and look like what God wants us to be. There was a, Let me share a couple of things here just to, that have been helpful for me. The youth rally in Billings... The um, something that they did yesterday uh, morning, right before lunch, I really appreciated it. I thought it was a really good exercise. There's a few ladies there that several years ago decided, and I don't know how the door opened or what happened, but they started a jail ministry there in the Yellowstone County Jail. They just started going in, some of them a few times a week, and whoever would listen, whoever would be there, they started reading scripture with them. And there were two ladies that... Uh, they, uh, the minister, Craig Ford, did an interview with there. And so the kids sat around, uh, and they had a, these ladies up there, and Craig just asked questions of the ladies. And he put his phone number up on the, the PowerPoint screen and uh, allowed the kids to ask some different questions. And both of these ladies had done quite a bit of time in prison, and both of them had been long-term meth abusers, meth addicts, and they shared a story. Both of them were very articulate, and it was I think it was a pretty powerful exercise for the kids that were there because they didn't share too much information. They shared enough to share a really powerful demonstration of, of God's grace, and they shared that how they had, uh, you know, one of the ladies, she said, I... Finally, things woke up when I had been using meth for 25 years and the SWAT team came through my door. And I could see 25 guys in battle gear coming through my door, busting the door down. And I'm sitting there and my eyes are really big. And I prayed two days before that God would fix my life, that he would put things together. And I didn't expect him to send the SWAT team through my door. And it's, <laughs> but that's what happened. And they came in and these guys are angry and they've got their guns and they're pointing around. And they said, do you have any weapons here? And she said, you know, I see what these guys deal with all the time, but that wasn't me. I said, I don't have any weapons here. What took you guys so long to come through my door? <laughs> is what she told them. And allergies, it's getting past allergy season, but once in a while it kicks up. But she shared that when those ladies came into the jail, they, she saw a peace and a happiness in them that she had never seen in her life before. And she said, I loathed myself, I just hated myself, I, I just all this, I just didn't know what to do, so I did drugs. And I started hearing the message of God, and, and she t- gave just a beautiful description of what life looks like when you decide to follow Christ. And she talked about people in the church, and she talked about just the church life and how wonderful things are, uh, just... C- getting involved with the community of God because you learn stuff about, uh, about life and people that you just wouldn't have any other way. And it was tremendous. And there's not very often that you see about a hundred teenagers dead silent going like this. But they did it yesterday morning, and it was tremendous listening to that sto- those stories of those couple of ladies. There is, um, 
And, and those, not all of us have a story like that. Some of our stories are very, very different. But hopefully what all of us can see from this is that no matter what situation we come from, God is willing to be there and work and to bring us into his kingdom and forgive and wipe, wipe all that away. How many of you remember uh, the story of Jeffrey Dahmer? Have you heard that story? Yeah, some of us remember that story. He's one of the most prolific serial killers in the history of the United States. Disastrous, disastrous life situation. And I have an article here that talked about some of that. This happened a number of years ago. Um, but there's a quote in here, and I remember this happening as I was in high school, or right at the end of high school, beginning of college when, when all this happened. But there was a, a biblical theologian that that he had done his doctoral work on hell. <laughs> if you're going to choose a dissertation, I might choose something different, but that's what he chose. And this is what he said, and I'm just going to read this. It's kind of shocking. He said, most people wanted Jeffrey Dahmer to fry. Now that he's dead, they're celebrating and they're absolutely sure he will burn in hell because that's what happens to people like him. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. And I remember all this discussion during that time period of, of him and, and his life situation and all that. Well, here's, um, there's a, a guy who actually writes for the Christian Chronicle now, but he was, a, he was a, working for the Oklahoman as a, a, a reporter at that point in time. But he says this, he said, I'll never forget the day that Kurt Booth, a member of the Crescent Church of Christ in Oklahoma, when I talked with him about his role in Dahmer's conversion, I know Jeffrey was ready, Booth told me. Today, all the angels in heaven are rejoicing because Jeffrey has come home. Booth said that he had no doubt about the sincerity of Jeffrey of Dahmer's conversion. On the, on the great resurrection day, I am expecting to see him right up there with Abraham, David, Isaac, James, John, and all the saints that have lived right up to the modern day, Booth said. Booth usually ministered to inmates at prisons closer to home. But in April 1994, he caught a glimpse of Dahmer on television. Dahmer, he said, mentioned that he wished he could find a little peace, Booth said. And the Oklahoma church members sensed that what he considered the hurt in Dahmer's voice and eyes. Booth said he thought, I know somebody who can give you that peace. His name is Jesus Christ. And what happened is Booth sent Dahmer a Bible correspondence course and the rest is history. He completed it. And Booth, Booth goes on to tell that Booth spent time for, uh, for being a thief, actually. And he started reading his Bible when he was in, in jail, and, and it changed him. But he, um, um, he went from there, and uh, what, he called some different ministers in that area and said, Hey, will you go talk to this guy? And I, some of them said, I'm not going to do that. I'm scared to do that. Ministers, cowards, and whatever. <laughs> anyway, there's one that said, yeah, I'll go talk to him. Absolutely. And went, and, and he ended up becoming a Christian in that. And there's a whole lot of things when I read through that. I, I, there's a whole lot of this tangled web of mess about what about his victims, what about the families, what are, you know, all, the, all that kind of stuff. But I can't get past a very, very simple truth. And a promise that God makes, as he says, no matter what your background is, here in Romans chapter 3, 
Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, no matter what your situation is, God's grace is waiting for you. Come for it. Because he wants to give it. And so maybe one of the great lessons we can learn in this, and maybe what the, the Romans learned in this, is that when we find ourselves wrestling with, ah, I'm not sure, can God forgive this? Can God, can God, <laughs> nobody here knows what I've done. Nobody knows, here knows what I really am. You know, some of those kind of things that we wrestle with at times. That God already knows that. And God already wants to provide forgiveness and all that. And when we wrestle with that, I believe that there's a whole lot of layers of ways and reasons that we may wrestle with that. But fundamentally what it comes down to is that if we do not believe that God can forgive us, then we do not believe the promises of God. That's it. That's it. Because God has said, my grace is here, my atonement is here, my forgiveness is here for you, and I want to give it. And that's what I want to do. And so... Having that faith and just accepting it, sometimes it's, it just seems too good. And this may be the only thing in the world that is too good to be true, that, that, that seems too good to be true, but it really is, is this right here. is God's grace that is being given to us, um, and, and, and he's just willing to give it. That's what he wants to do. Okay. Now, we can abuse it. We can do all that. We'll get to that. Romans talks about that. We'll talk about how not to abuse it as we go on. But for now... I think the Romans would have been just excited that they understood, maybe, maybe for the first time, that God's grace is bigger than everything else that can be that, that's out there. And maybe if we can learn to just accept the grace of God, then we can learn to be gracious towards other people. And I can imagine as Romans is being read in that room, maybe the seeds of some of the dissension that is happening there are starting to, to be washed away because they're understanding this, looking around the room, as the other people here are, are fallen as well and they are needed God's grace like me. We have that in common. And if I can get to the point where I can accept the, God's, the grace of God, then I can accept the grace of God working in their lives as well. And who knows what we can do when we work together and we understand that God's grace is working in all of us. And when we have that perspective, then we tend to be more gracious with ourselves and more gracious with other people. And that's, that's pretty good news. And that's when we start living as a community of God that he's always intended. I see a whole lot of that here. I see it all the time. I'm thankful to be a part of things here and excited for what God will continue to do in the future. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers to church, you're welcome to come forward to stand and sing. The elders are waiting in the back. You can go back and there. Be glad to pray with you as well today. Let's sing together.